Hey, Cornwall Church, it is so good to have you with us today, and especially on a day like today, because it would be so much easier to be outside, and yet you have chosen uh, to join us, and I thank you for that. For those of you who are not uh, from the Northwest, I'm telling you what, this is why we put up with a lot of rain. Here in May, right now, we are experiencing temperatures in the upper 70s. It's beautiful. Everything is unbelievably green, and on top of that, it gets light at like 5.15 in the morning, doesn't get dark till 9.15 at night, and we're still a month and a half away from the summer solstice in the longest day. This is the time of year to be here. And thank you for joining us uh, here. And on top of that, it's Mother's Day weekend. So big shout out to all the moms out there. Uh, That's great. Which, by the way, how about that video? And now, Pastor Brian kind of played it cool. But if you're like me, I mean, we all want to know what was behind that curtain. I mean, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Pull the curtain back. Let us see. So if any of you know, let me know, because that's something I can use against him. And not only... Uh, Pastor Brian, uh, but Pastor Mike Leibold, you know, you, you and your mom, Joyce, and I, and I love you both, talked about how Joyce saw you through that season with the ponytail. And I'm just saying, my mom is better than your mom. I love you, Joyce, but my mom's better because she has loved me with a ponytail for all these years, even into my 50s. And by the way, Joyce, could you get something with Mike and that creeper mustache he's trying to grow? Just deal with that. I mean, it's not good when your, ch- your children's pastor has the creeper mustache. Anyway, it is good to have you with us. Today, I'm not preaching a Mother's Day sermon. However, I think what we're going to talk about in this series in Psalm 23 actually ties very well with mothers without being doing a lot of theological gymnastics to try to stretch to make it fit. I mean, you think about this. We've been talking about Psalm 23, and in the very first week of that series, I said that when God talks about his relationship with his people, there are two primary what, uh, images or metaphors that he uses. The first most common one is like a parent and child, and more specifically, a father to a son, not because God's misogynistic, but because of the culture of which it was written and a lot of uh, nuances underneath that that bring about this beautiful picture. The second one was of a shepherd and his sheep, thus Psalm 23. But that's not the exclusive way that God talks about his relationship with us. In fact, you see imagery about God being like a mother to us. You think about this, how a mother will carry her child for nine months, and over and over in Scripture, it talks about how God carries his people, how a mom will sing to her baby child, and how God rejoices over us with singing, how a mom is there to care and to comfort and to protect. I mean, that whole mother bear picture of a mom and how God is that way with with his people. And and very uh, explicitly, God uses this imagery in the book of Isaiah at least twice, And he starts off with this hypothetical um, situation that just would never happen. And he writes through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 49, these words, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? The obvious answer is no, this is like, this wouldn't happen. Not with a mom. There's that connection. There's that intimacy. There's that love. Though she may forget, if it were possible, though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. He takes this picture of a mother who is so connected to this child. And he says, that picture, you take that even more. And that's my connection with you. Or in Isaiah 66, where it says, for this is what the Lord says. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knee. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Once again, God says this picture of mothers, this picture of the way a mom cares for her child, that's how I will care for you and I will comfort you. 
how a mom comforts and cares for and whispers and sings when a child is scared, when the child's afraid, when it's in the middle of the night. And that's the picture we're going to look at today in Psalm 23. Now, this is the fourth week in this series. We've been going verse by verse. The first week I covered, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Pastor Kip came in where in verse two where it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. And then Pastor Brian picked it up last week with he restores my soul and he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now we're on verse four. Now what's interesting is if you've been with us, you see that this picture that David paints of the life of the sheep under the care of the shepherd, it's a good life. It's the best life. It's like, why would anyone choose any other life? We're going to look more at that next week. Why would you choose to live any other way than under the care of the shepherd? And what's, while that's true, what is very often the case is that sometimes we begin to equate that life under the shepherd, or we begin to, in our mind, rationalize that we think it ought to be that life under the shepherd's care would mean that life will always be easy. That life will never have difficulties. There will be no troubles. There will be no, no struggles. There will be no uh, you know, affliction, no oppression. There will be, be no hardships in life, no difficulties. And that's not reality. But sometimes we begin to think that way. And even when we think about the Psalms, these, these songs that people would sing, and we think about singing these songs because life is good. You know, when things are going well, you sing a song, you whistle, and all these wonderful times. And even this Psalm 23, for some of us raised in church, we grew up singing a part of this psalm, you know, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, that whole, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days. Some of you know that. Or if you were raised in the evangelical church in the 70s and 80s, there were these songs, these choruses brought right off the pages of the book of Psalms. And all of them had kind of this same feel, uh, same key, same cadence, and kind of this, just like this ongoing, and they're all so upbeat and so joyful. It's like, like they're all happy, clappy songs. In fact, you could kind of string them all together in the happy, clappy medley. You know, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord, I will rejoice and just kind of keep going, you know, and I will be glad in it, be glad in it. Then it goes, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Then we go to clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph, clap your hands, all you people, go right into, uh, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, I will sing. And then it goes to zippity-doo-dah, zippity. You see, the whole thing was this happy, clappy laugh. And you say, that's great for David. That's not my reality. My life isn't always happy clappy. And I will say this about David. While he was unbelievably successful, while he had incredible victories, that was not always his reality either. And the truth is this, is that David never denied or ignored reality. Not even in the Psalms. Yes, there are Psalms of praise, but the number one most frequently used Psalm in the book of Psalms is a genre called a Psalm of lament. This pouring out this hardship, this complaint, this sorrow. People who are students of music, people who understand music theory, people who understand uh, chord structures and tonation and all that will tell you that the darkest key, the most... Um, melancholy, sorrowful key is the key of D minor. Why? I don't know. Ask some music theory 
professor, and they'll explain it, but it's this key of D minor. And what you see is while there are those clap your hands and shout for joy psalms, there are a lot that are in the key of D minor. For instance, Psalm 13, David writes these words, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I was just the sorrow and the hardships of life. Or in Psalm 69, where it says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Now, there's an old line. You got to live the blues to sing the blues. And David gets it. He's lived the blues. He understands that. Or how about this one? Psalm 88. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. If you look in your Bible at the top of Psalm 88, and most of your Bibles will have a little bit of a, a little bit of a kind of a precursor, and there's a, maybe an asterisk, and if you look down at the bottom, it says, this one may have been sung to the tune of the sorrow of affliction. Man, that, that's not blues, that's death metal. You say, well, I'm not into the blues, and I'm not into death metal, I'm more of a country singer. Okay, well, there's country music in the Psalms as well. And I'm not talking about new country. I'm not talking about country rock. And I'm, and I'm definitely not talking about that Jason Aldean country that has rap in it. That's a bunch of uh, bad country. I'm talking about old school country, Hank Williams Sr. type country. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 102. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food, for I eat ashes as my food and Hank Williams Sr., and mingle my drink with tears. See, Hank Williams was not the first one to say, there's a tear in my beer, I'm crying for you, dear. He says, this is hardship. It's difficult. Life is not easy. Or this, out of Psalm 77, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. These songs in the middle of the night when insomnia sets in and my brain can't stop and it's dark and it's quiet and it's cold and I remember these songs, these songs in a minor key, these songs that, that are about my woes and my hardships in life. You know, I was raised singing some of these songs that would be classified songs in the night and I'm thinking, why did we, why did we teach our children these songs? You know, the whole idea of down in the valley, valley so low. Hang your head over, hear the wind blow. Oh, man, how depressing. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. You know, poor boy, you're bound to die this time. Tomorrow you'll be in some lonesome valley hanging from a white oak tree. Why would we teach anyone to sing those songs? These songs of darkness in the night. Are you feeling like a happy Mother's Day? Aren't you glad you came today? Hang in there. We're, we're getting there. The reality is, David did not deny or ignore that life is hard, and he wrote about it. You may have heard of um, Harriet Beecher Stowe. She wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin about the, the hardships and the deplorable treatment of slaves. She had a brother. Uh, her brother's name was Harry Ward Beecher. He was a clergyman. Why they referred to him as a clergyman is probably because they didn't want to call him Preacher Beecher, though I think that would have been a lot better. Hey, Preacher Beecher. Preacher Beecher said this, it's recorded that he was doing a eulogy and he was referring to the 23rd Psalm 
And when he referenced the 23rd Psalm, he said, this Psalm is the nightingale of the Psalms. A nightingale. This bird that sings this beautiful medley, mel- melody in the middle of the night, in the darkest of night, in the, in the middle of the dark coldness and quietness of the night, this bird continues to sing. And he says, that's what Psalm 23 is. This nightingale that sings in the middle of the night. So today we're going to look at verse number four of Psalm 23. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This, at the initial take feels like a very, very dark verse. Shadows and valleys and death. In fact, when we were putting this series together, <laughs> Pastor Brian pointed out, Bob, you realize if we do this in the, in the order that you're saying, that, that you're going to be talking about the valley of the shadow of death on Mother's Day weekend. And I said, yes, I realize that. But I don't think this is as dark as it may appear at first glance. In fact, if Psalm 23 is the nightingale of the book of Psalms, I would say Psalm 23, 4 is the verse that is the nightingale of Psalm 23. That in this verse, we see this this sweet, beautiful melody that sings even in the night. And with that, I want to point out, as we're going to spend our, the rest of our time in this verse, I want to point out that there are really, there are really key, three key words in this verse. Three key words, and I want you to, I, want you to, to, I don't know, write them down, type them in your notes, uh, circle them on your Bible, whatever. The three key words are through, shadow, and with. Here they are, through, shadow, and with. Now, I want you to say these three words with me because you're practicing for a quiz and some quizzes that you'll take. Say these with me out loud in your living room and wherever you are through shadow with these three words are what we're going to focus on today. And they're like these grace notes that just bring beauty and life into this darkness uh, of the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to have four quizzes today. Each question is worth a hundred points. So just so you know that, it all goes towards your grade. And the answers to those quizzes are this. The first quiz, I'm gonna ask you, what is the first key word? That's the answer, I'm giving it to you up front. This is the easiest quiz you've ever taken. The second quiz is this word. The third quiz is this word. And the fourth quiz, and this is the bonus, is for all of them. Each question worth 100 points, so you might wanna jot that down. Before we get into that, one more thing. We are halfway through the psalm. There's six verses in Psalm 23. We've covered three of them. And there is a subtle but very significant shift that happens at this point, at the halfway point in the psalm. And it's this. You might not have ever picked up on this. But in verses one through three, those verses, that, what it's talking about, is is about the shepherd. You know, the Lord. The third person, the Lord. He, he makes me lie down. He leads me by still waters. Um, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. It, it's, it's that one. It's him, third person. In verse four, things shift. And especially for verse four and five, but in four through six, it's not talking about the shepherd. It's talking to the shepherd. Now it's not he, this entity out there. Now he's saying, you, you are with me. Your rod and staff, you prepare a table, you anoint my head, all of those kind of things. Max Licato in his book, Traveling Light, put it this way. In verses one through three, 
David is talking to us and God listens in. In verses four through six, David turns his attention and he's talking to God and we listen in. That the first half is this poem that he writes. The second half is this prayer that he prays. The first three verses is when he's explaining about the shepherd. The last three verses is when he's experiencing the shepherd. And that's what I so long for, for us. That as we immerse ourselves in this psalm, we won't just explain about the shepherd, but we will experience and choose to live our life with our shepherd. And that's what I want us to talk about. So Psalm 23, verse four starts off this way. Even though I walk through the valley, even though, remember, he doesn't deny the reality, even though. Uh, Pastor Kip in the past has talked about how so often we approach life with this what if. What if this happens? What if this doesn't come through? What if the, you know, all this what if, and instead we ought to live with the confidence and say, even if, even if this happens, even if I lose that job, even if this prognosis, even if God is still good, God is still faithful. I think David goes even one step further. It's not just what if, it's not even just even if, I think he's saying, especially when. Like it's a foregone conclusion. You will go through valleys. It is gonna happen. So be aware of that and be prepared for that. The very first week of this series, I said that David was uniquely qualified for this psalm because he spent his early years as a shepherd. Again, we'll look at that next week as well. I think he's especially qualified to talk about valleys because he's saying, well, if all of you people who don't have the happy, clappy life go through valleys, let me tell you what to do. He says, no, 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 I've experienced some valleys. David had gone through. And so when he says, even though, he says, I know about valleys. In his late teenage years, his early 20s, he worked for a boss, for the king, who had this bipolar love-hate relationship with him. And not just like some days praise him and some days tear him down. I mean love-hate like when he was hating him and he had this anger management issue and he's throwing a spear trying to kill him. He understands the valley of working for a boss who's unpredictable and who's cruel and who's you know, just out of control. He's walked through the valley of fearing for his life and being homeless and living in a cave, worried, looking over his shoulder all the time to see if he's still safe. He's lived through the valley of some defeats and some hardships and the men that he led wanting to bring about a coup and assassinate him. He understood valleys. He lived through the dark, dark valley of his own moral failure that he would beat himself up for again and again and again. He understands the unthinkable valley that some of you have experienced of losing his newborn child when he pleaded with God for days, prayed and fasted, God spare his life. And the life of his child was taken. He knows the valley of a difficult marriage. When he comes home on a spiritual high from worshiping God, and he walks in and his wife just slams him. He understands the valley of a parent whose heart breaks for his children who make horrible decisions, his adult children who are dysfunctional. 
his children who not only have sibling rivalries, but go at it to the point where the unspeakable things that happened, I will not even mention because this is a family-friendly service today. He understands the valley of unfulfilled dreams, of unmet expectations. He understands the valley of having things end far differently than he had always hoped. And can I remind you that while he pins this most beautiful, most loved Psalm 23, he also pinned the Psalm that comes right before it. The one that our Lord Jesus Christ quoted while he was hanging on the cross. Jesus is best known for these words, but it was David who first penned them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What kind of valley must David have gone through to write those words? You see, if anyone's qualified to talk about even though we go through valleys, it's David. And so he says, even though we walk through the valley. All right, quiz number one. Worth 100 points. Here we go. You can even look at your notes right now. Quiz number one. What is the first keyword, the first grace note? Say it out loud. You got it. It's through. That's the very first one. And this is where I think we begin to see the beauty of this, that there are valleys. But he doesn't say, man, even if we camp in the valley of the shadow, or he doesn't say even if we you know, stop there or, or we go into, he says, we go through the valley. And there's a big difference between a valley and a box canyon. I don't know if you've ever seen a box canyon uh, years ago. Uh, the, uh, in the Old West, they, they would take the wild horses and they would, they would corral them into a box canyon and there they, would, they were trapped. This is not a box canyon. This is something that, a valley that we go through. In the late 80s, I was going through a very, very dark valley in my life. And I went to a pastor's conference and there was a, a gentleman, I don't even know if he's still alive, Juan Carlos Ortiz. He was speaking at this pastor's conference and he made a comment and it's a little bit cliche-ish, but at that moment I held on to these words. He said, when you are walking with God, whatever darkness you're going through is always a tunnel, never a cave. You will come out on the other side. And I held on to those words thinking of God, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like a cave to me. It's dark, it's cold, it's wet. It does, there's no light. I don't know if there's ever gonna be in, but I know with you, this will be a tunnel. We will walk through this valley. Here's a thought. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail. I think I've got enough time to do this. Jesus quoted Psalm 22 on the cross. I just mentioned that. If Jesus had memorized Psalm 22, Don't you think it's logical to assume that he probably also knew Psalm 23? That Jesus had memorized many of the Psalms, had sung many of the Psalms, and it is really very little question in my mind that he would have known Psalm 23 as well. On the night before Jesus is crucified, he takes his disciples over to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And there... He's betrayed by Judas. He's abandoned by all of his disciples. He's bound and he's led to the house of Caiaphas. In order to get from the Mount of Olives to the house of Caiaphas, you have to go through the Kidron Valley. And could it be 
Speculation, purely speculation on my part. Could it be that that night, when he's been abandoned by those who are closest to him, as he's being arrested, falsely accused, as he's going to go through a mock trial, as he's going to be spit on, as he's going to be beaten, as he's going to be scourged, as he's going to be crucified, as he's going to hear the very ones he came for say, crucify him, as he's walking through that valley, bound on his way to Caiaphas' house. Is it so un- unlikely to think that Jesus may have been whispering, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And quoting that, this, in his valley, literal and figurative, going towards the cross. You know, um, I've mentioned this before. My wife uh, has and her family have deep, deep roots in Whatcom County. I mean, her dad still lives in the same house that when they brought her home from the hospital to that house, I mean, he still lives in that same house. But it's not just her dad, her grandparents, her great-grandparents, and her great-great-grandparents have roots in Whatcom County. Her great-great-grandfather is a man named uh, John Riddle, her great-grandfather and great-grandmother, I have a picture of them actually, uh, is, is named Harry and Caroline Gates. Now, Harry Gates moved to Whatcom County in 1889. And when he came to Whatcom County, he, he put in a bid for a homestead. At that time, they would give you a piece of property, but the condition was you had to improve it every year, and after 10 years of improvement, if it followed all the cases, then you get the deed to the property. He put in, he got a homestead, and he got 160 acres on the other side of the Nooksack River. At that time, there was, there was no bridge. There was no way. He had to get on a canoe to get to his homestead, 160 acres. His father-in-law, uh, Caroline's father, John Riddle, had done the same. And he began to work, and he began to put down roots, and he began to, to establish that at his home. And the interesting thing, for those of you who are Walking County uh, history buffs, his father-in-law, Caroline's husband, his name was John Welcome Riddle, and the area where they established their homesteads to this day, 130 years later, is referred to as Welcome Valley. And they built their homestead there, and they settled in there, and they put roots down there because this was the Welcome Valley. And when the psalmist talks about the valley, this isn't a Welcome Valley. This isn't a valley that we put roots down. This isn't a valley that we homestead in. We don't settle in the valley. We walk through the valley. And for those of you who are in the middle of a valley right now, you may need to hold on to that. That you don't settle here. You don't homestead here. You don't camp here. You're not going to be here forever. You're walking through the valley. It's an incredible metaphor of this idea of the hardships of life, the difficulties of life, the the low times of life of going through a valley. But he gets even more graphic because he says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I wonder, and follow with me on this one because my my head does weird things and and this may not make a lot of sense. I wonder if he uses this picture of the valley of the shadow of death as a metaphoric uh, picture, metaphorical picture of a literal valley. Because there were times where there was this shadow of death in a valley that David literally faced. Like when he was a very young man, 
he faced Goliath who cast a very large shadow, a foreboding shadow, possible death. And he faces down Goliath in the valley of Elah. Years later, he would take his fighting men to face off with the Edomites, these descendants of Esau, where there was the possibility of death as they go into battle and they face the Edomites in the valley of salt. And years later, he would confront the Philistines, this, this, this barbarous, strong army where there's very real possibility of death. And he faces them in the valley of Rephaim. There were these valleys in his life, literal valleys, where he faced the consequence of possible death. But I think maybe it's one from his childhood. And this is something really cool uh, that I learned in Israel. Outside of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Jericho, uh, there's an area that's referred to as the Judean wilderness. You, you read about it in scripture, the Judean wilderness. And the Judean wilderness is just this expanse of hills and nothingness. In fact, here's a picture from when we were there a, a couple of months ago. This is the Judean wilderness. This was a couple months ago, and the reality is, this is about as green as I've ever seen it. I've been there nine times because they had a real rainy, uh, rainy winter. This is about as green as I've ever seen it. The Judean wilderness is just bleak. And what's interesting is that if you go from Jerusalem down to Jericho, there is a way to get through the Judean wilderness. And it's a thing called Wadi Kelt. I've got a picture of it. Wadi Kelt. It's this ravine. It's this canyon. It's this valley. And the interesting thing about Wadi Kelt is that the way it, it, it's, it's contoured throughout these hills and how steep the canyon and the ravine is and how, how high the walls are is that throughout the day, most of this valley is in the shadows except for maybe one hour a day when the sun is directly over it, and it was referred to as the valley of the shadow. And it is possible that this is the very road and the very path that Jesus was referring to when he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan goes down to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's hit by the thugs and the, and the thieves and all this, because this was a place where they could hide in caves around corners and, and ambush people. And it could have been that David as a young man, while taking his sheep to different pastures, may have gone through the Wadi Kelt, maybe with great deal of fear. And maybe he even looks back on that from his childhood and says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I all my life held on to God through that valley, and I hold on to God through that valley now. It's an amazing thought, and I don't know if, it, if it's actually true, but he, it's this possibility of this picture. So it says, even though, uh, verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, quiz number two, this is worth 100 points. Look on your notes. You can use the open note quiz here. What is the second key word that is the second grace note we're gonna look at? It is the word, you got it, shadow. Shadow is it. Now, shadows, as I said, can be foreboding, they can be intimidating, they can be scary, they can be very frightening. Let me ask this. Have you ever been hit by a shadow? I mean, I have. Out running, doing races. I've been hit by shadows of trains, planes, and automobiles. I've been hit by shadows of all of them. 
I've been hit by shadows of some of the largest redwoods in the world down in the sequoias. I've been hit by the shadows of skyscrapers in Chicago. I've been hit by the shadows of, of, of trucks barreling past me. And you know what? Every time I've been hit by a shadow, it may have frightened me. It may have startled me. But it was never fatal. Because it was just a shadow. And right now, there's this thing called COVID-19, and it is casting an enormous shadow on our world. But it's a shadow. Now, I know some of you are understanding, wait, wait, Bob, your analogy breaks down here because it is fatal. There are people dying, and I get that. And I, I wanted to say, please hear me all the way out and know my heart. I'm not in any way diminishing the sorrow of those who have lost their life. I'm not in any way saying it's not a, a, an imminent threat. None of that at all without being insensitive to those who've lost their lives or struggling because of COVID-19, I wanna tell you that the real pandemic in our world is sin, and the result of sin is death. I'm just telling you, that's our reality. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even death is just a shadow. That's why Paul, Paul would write, and he'd say, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? You know, he would say, for me to live is Christ. To die, whoo, that's gain. In fact, when he would write to the, the church in Thessalonica, he would say, listen, for those who have fallen asleep in death, because why? At the last trumpet call, they'll raise from Christ. Even death is just a shadow. A very dear friends of mine, Tom and V. Burke, uh, were part of our church. They, they live in Arizona now. She's a nurse. He sent me an email this week. I asked permission. And he talked about how for V, almost every day um, while she's at work, someone passes away and how heavy that is. And then he wrote these words. We both are needing Psalm 23 these days. It is timely. It is only the shadow of death and not really death for believers. We hold to that promise and do our best to praise him with people going through some very difficult days. It's, even death itself is only a shadow. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes me will live even though he dies. It's just a shadow. And, and, there's another shadow. And here's the thing that's, that's hard for us to comprehend. That with the fear that we have of the shadow of death and the fear we have of the shadow of COVID-19, the fear we have of the shadow of losing our job, the fear we have of the shadow of health and the fear that we have in the shadow of our financial, the, all the shadows of fear that we have, we can confront those in another shadow, from another shadow. In Psalm um, 18, I believe it was, where, uh, where David writes, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. There's another shadow. And Jesus would say as he enters into Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long, you who kill the prophets, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Again, this picture of, of a caring, loving, protective mother. In Psalm 91, the psalmist writes, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest 
in the shadow of the Almighty, the shadow of the one who sees all things, the shadow of the one who surrounds all things, the shadow of the one who rules over all things, the shadow of the one who is supreme and sovereign and in charge, that we dwell under another shadow. Another man in our church this week emailed me, and again, I asked permission to read this. A portion of his email, his name is Mike. And I'll start in the middle. He says, we recently, just last Wednesday, learned that I have a limited shelf life and am not expected to live but a year, give or take. To have scripture in the forefront of my mind at this time is a blessing not only for myself, but for my beautiful wife of 33 years and my daughters. I believe in miracles. I've seen them. And I try to not underestimate his abilities in any situation. I also believe in the hope and the resurrection of the dead. The way I figure it, either way, I win. This man, Mike, is literally walking in the valley of the shadow of death but he's not afraid because he's under the shadow of the Almighty. What a beautiful picture. What a grace note that rings through the night of this other shadow. So Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, get a little emphasis there to help you with your third quiz. The third grace point, the third key word that we're talking about is this one is with that he is with me. Now, he doesn't say this as a question like, I fear no evil because you're with me, right? I mean, you're not gonna let me down, right? I mean, I can count on you, right? It's not a question mark. It's an emphatic exclamation point because over and over again, you see this in Psalm and other places where he says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Or how about this one? When I am afraid, I get afraid, he says, I will trust in you. Why? Because you're with me. I mean, if we circle back to the very beginning of this psalm, those first five words, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything else goes to explain this, even the with. And we recognize that the key remains with my shepherd, that he's my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, He's with me, and because he's with me, this is why I don't have to fear. You know, Isaiah would speak about the good shepherd, the great shepherd that would come. And it would be repeated in, in Matthew's gospel that this one to come, his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Not God with us only in the good times, not God with us only on the sunny days, not God with us only on the mountaintops, God with us. End of story always, right now. You know, um, three weeks ago, I gave you a really bad uh, English lesson with this truth that I is his. And I, again, apologize. Um, but when you understand that I is his, my shepherd, he's my shepherd, I'm his sheep, and that he is always with me, you can add another bad English phrase is this, he be with me. I is his, he be with me. Now listen, I'm not trying to teach school or grammar or anything. I know it's really horrible English. But he be with me. And a thousand years after this psalm was written, 
Jesus would see people like us. And in Matthew chapter nine, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm gonna tell you, sheep without a shepherd is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for destruction for the sheep. It's a recipe for anxiety and stress and worry and fear and chaos and panic. But that's not how we live. We have a good shepherd. We have the great shepherd. We have our gentle shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then later, Jesus would remind his disciples and he would remind us of this great word and promise out of Matthew 28, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You don't even have to question that. He's told you he will be with you. He's promised you his presence. You're not alone. You are never alone, ever. Now, final question on the quiz, worth 100 more points. We'll, we'll make it 150 in case you messed up on an earlier one. Three words, key words, I'm not gonna give them to you here, you gotta just come off your notes or your mind, your brain. Three key words that are these grace, grace notes in this beautiful Nightingale song. The three key words are these. Can you say them? The first one, through. The second one, shadow. The third one, with. All right, if you got those, 400, 450 points out of 400. You guys are great. That we have this, that we can walk through the shadow with the shepherd. There's a woman named Annie Flint Johnson. She understood valleys. When she was two and a half, three years old, her mother died while giving birth to her little sister. Her little sister lived, but her mom died. And now her dad was here with this two and a half, three-year-old baby girl and a little infant daughter. And it was more than he could handle. So he asked them to be put into another home, kind of a foster home. And a, another family reluctantly took them in. And it was real evident that they weren't wanted there. There were another two mouths to feed. It made for some hardship. And later in life, the Johnson family, who had never had kids, wanted these two as their own and brought them into their home and treated them as their own daughters. In fact, they took the last name, Annie Flint Johnson. And yet the Johnsons, who loved them and gave them a home, both died within months of each other. And Annie was starting to be a school teacher and she was hit with a debilitating, crippling case of arthritis that rendered her uh, wheelchair bound for the rest of her life. She never married. She never got to have a family of her own. And she died when she was 55 years old. But she knew Jesus from an early age. And she's best known for the poems that she would write. Some of them were even turned into hymns. And she wrote this poem. I remember years ago, my dad quoting this poem. God has not promised, sky's always blue. Flower strewn pathways 
all our life through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But he has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for all trials, hope from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Listen, some of you are in a valley right now, and I don't want in any way diminish the hardship and the, and the fear that you're going through, but I want you to know that you can walk through this shadow with the good shepherd. And when you're in the valley, and I know I've been in a few myself, when in, your, in the valley, it feels like you've been lied to, and one of the lies is that I'll always be here. Or maybe the lie is this, that, that this is absolute, this is the last chapter, this is finished, it's done. Or that I'm all alone. And these lies are confronted with the truth of God's word that we've just looked at, out of Psalm 23, 4. And the truth is this, you will not always be there, you're walking through the valley. And this is not absolute, it's just a shadow. And you are never alone, you are with the good shepherd. You see this truth that we walk through? That's the promise of the good shepherd. And that it's merely a shadow and that there's a greater shadow? That's the perspective of our great shepherd. And that he will never leave us or forsake us? That's the presence of our gentle shepherd. It's holding on to these truths. 